Well, hello, and welcome to the Accountability Coach Podcast, where we discuss proven business success principles related to helping you make more money, work less, so you can enjoy even better work-life balance. And Backrack here. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Sean Lowry is a highly motivated and passionate entrepreneur. Now, you're going to love this story. While living in his mother's basement, Sean was called T-Shirt Boy. Now he runs a seven-figure e-commerce and clothing business called the United Monograms. Sean is a thought leader and an innovator in his industry. He thrives to teach and impact millions of entrepreneurs and individuals around the world. Sean has overcome economic hardships, negativity from peers, and greatly sacrificed many things to make his business flourish. His incredible work ethic, passion to serve others, an obsession to build an empire makes Sean the success story he is today. Building a business that generates over $10 million a year with 20 plus employees and thousands of clients worldwide, of course, takes blood, sweat, and tears. So through his journey and experiences, I'm sure Sean will bring us an extensive amount of value in our time together. So welcome, Sean. We really appreciate you joining us. And what an introduction. It's a, it's an honor to be on the podcast, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let's start kind of in the beginning. So what steps did you take to go from your mother's basement to the <laughs> business you have today that can help others grow their business? Well, I got to say the first thing that I did was I graduated college. I had read a lot of books about starting your own business, and it got me really excited. And I quit my first job that I had out of school. It was a phone call job. I did it for three months and I quit with nothing. I had really no plan. And the first step was right to my mom's basement. And uh, I always remember those days. My mom has a small basement, not a very big house. And it was like a townhouse. And I just uh, worked with what I had. So I started selling T-shirts. I had no idea what I was doing, really. And I got some equipment in the basement. I just kind of went from there. I had to make a lot of pivots along the way. And the main thing that I did to take it from a small business to what I have now is just the mindset of uh, looking to serve a bigger audience. When I was first doing t-shirts and I was looking to sell to local teams, local uh, businesses, basically all my business was local. And as I grew from that, I learned that I liked the idea a lot more of selling online and reaching an audience of anywhere in the country for starters. And that was just a huge shift in mindset from serving just the people that live in my area to being able to serve anyone. And thank God for the internet because I love the idea of just having a website where people could come shop, come shop and I could sell while I was sleeping. All that I had to put out was a link after I built up an audience and people could just shop on their own time. And that was so different for me than it was when I had to make phone calls and give prices on t-shirts and then get it delivered and compete for the best price for a small margin. So just the idea of going from a local area to a big wider across the country network, which is available to anyone these days with the internet and the way the post office works with shipping products, uh, that mindset was one of the things that helped me go from a tiny business in my mom's basement to, to what I have now, which is a lot bigger and more successful. So when you think about mindset, so, hey, I can serve anyone anywhere. How did that, how did you actually do that? Okay, so the first thing I did was actually, I was active on Twitter on my own and I never had thought of it from a business standpoint. And 
after the t-shirt business, I found out I didn't really like that. One of the things I did was my favorite football team, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I'm a fan of the team. I didn't go to the school, but my grandpa always made me love them. So I started creating a Notre Dame football account on Twitter, and I would tweet during all the football games. And I built up a really big audience on that uh, Twitter account, and it grew to have like 60, 70,000 uh, followers on the Twitter account. And all I would do is just tweet about the games. It was fun for me every Saturday. And then I learned that that audience was very active, and I made a little, I made a little store on Shopify. And this was my first time doing anything on e-commerce. And I made a Shopify store selling various T-shirts that were that were kind of Notre Dame themed. And I made the site and I put the link in front of all those people, those 60, 70,000 concentrated fans that were Notre Dame football fans. And people started buying them. And it was an incredible feeling to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I have eight sales, nine sales. That was so much to me. And it was so cool that I could check it. And I knew that people bought it on their own time. And that set off a light for me. I was like, okay, if I can build audiences on social media and then create a product that they want to buy, in this case, a t-shirt, a physical product, then wow, there's really no limits. People can shop 24 seven, people can shop on their own time across the country. And then I would actually print the shirts and ship them right from my mom's basement. And that's when I really started learning about uh, the logistics of shipping. I remember at first I was uh, sending them for way too expensive price at the post office. And I learned how to do that better. And now today, my company, probably this morning already, we probably already shipped out a couple hundred packages that get picked up by the post office every day. So I learned how to build an audience and I learned the logistics of creating the product, which in this case was t-shirts, and then just learning how to ship them out. And I've really built upon that. Uh, the Notre Dame thing didn't work out long-term, essentially <laughs> copyright issues, and you're not necessarily allowed to do that. So that is no longer active. And it had a short little run, but it was really the opening uh, to that whole world of reaching a big audience, finding what they like, selling them a product, shipping them to it, shipping it to them, and then doing it over and over again. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, just even learning through going through the process or mistakes, you know, so, hey, copyright issues. Hey, okay, I learned from that. <sighs> hey, paying too much money for shipping, learn from that. So, you know, it's just kind of you're okay, got this issue or situation, learn from that and go on to try something better and different that ends up working really well for you. How did you tear down or get rid of any voices? I'm going to call them limiting belief voices that perhaps you might have told yourself at some point <sighs> that that could help other people with their limiting beliefs. I love this topic. So. Like you mentioned in the introduction, uh, when I first started this, a lot of my friends, family, uh, they they weren't so sure if I was going to be able to pull this off. And it's irrational. It is. And and they called me T-shirt boy. They're like, because I had aspirations of building a million dollar business and being an entrepreneur. And there was absolutely zero logical evidence to believe that I could do this. I was a B minus student. I graduated college, but I never have really done anything special. But when I was around 19 years old, I read the book, Think and Grow Rich, and I just started developing this mindset that why not me? Some people build big businesses. Why can't I do it? And when people started calling me T-shirt boy and kind of doubting me, I just, I just learned to actually enjoy and love getting criticism. I mean, getting criticism is something I think a lot of people deal with when they first start a business or in anything that they start. And it's painful. It hurts. It hurts to get a negative comment. And just like if you want to build 
big muscles working out at the gym. If you do one bicep curl, you're not going to get strong right away. But if you do a lot of bicep curls, you'll get strong. So I actually didn't mind getting the criticism. And every time I got some type of negative thought or negative criticism or a doubt from someone that I know, I would practice the skill of accepting it, listening to it, and then ignoring it. And, and over time, I've honestly learned to just enjoy any type of criticism. It's almost like practice for overcoming fear or overcoming those doubts. And the more that I've done it, the more that I've listened to the doubts, accepted them, almost asked for them in a way, not avoid them at all. I've become an expert at just being confident in myself and just not, not, not just ignoring these negative doubts internally or externally, but actually enjoying them. So now there's nothing that anyone could say that would, that would stop me from doing what I'm doing. And it feels incredible. And I want other people to feel like that. I know that doubt is such a problem for people. And I want people to know that if you get to a point where you're not, where you're confident enough and you're used enough to getting criticism and not letting it affect you negatively, then it's an absolute superpower. And it's something that anyone can develop with enough practice. So I love that. So the way I look at it is who cares? Who cares? So, yeah, who cares? I mean, I love that. What's whole, yeah, what's the whole point in, in all this? Who cares? So as long as you have confidence, at least what I heard you say, as long as you have confidence in yourself and what you're doing and what you're about, then who cares? It doesn't matter what people Absolutely. Say you know, what they try to say to hold you back or keep you down or whatever it is. And sometimes they're intentionally trying to do, I'm sorry, unintentionally trying to do that without even knowing it. Other times they might be intentionally trying to do that um, because <laughs> yeah, they don't want to see you grow, you know, and, absolutely. and bigger. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, one of their biggest problems is their, their immediate circle, their friends and their family. They say you're an average of the five people that you're around the most. And your friends and family are the ones that will unintentionally in, in try to bring you down because they just want you to be who they think you're going to be. And it's very common. And I just think that if people can understand that if they can get past the judgment of their immediate circle, then the possibilities of what you can do are endless. So well said. Totally agree with that. Okay, so in order to be successful, at least my belief is most people have to be really good with time management. So since time is going to pass every second of every day, however we choose to use it, what time management principles do you use to help you be as effective and efficient as possible every single day? This is great. So this is something that I've definitely had to work on a lot. I've had to really work on my time management skills. And one thing that I think I have the advantage of a little bit is it's not necessarily my goal one day to retire and be on the beach drinking a martini. I have learned to enjoy working and I work every weekend and I still, you know, I just got married recently. Uh, we had a wedding with friends and family. It was awesome. I still do some things that are fun once in a while, but the fact that I know that I have a lot of time and I'm gonna put all my time into the business and that gives me happiness. That gives me a little advantage when it comes to time management because I do like enjoy spending time working on my company. But as far as some specifics of time management, uh, I, I kind of have my morning routine. And, and the first thing that I do is go to the gym every morning, 5 a.m. And we used to go to the 6.15 class, uh, me and my fiance, but we, we started going to the 5 a.m. class because then that gave us an hour in the morning that we would have at night after dinner, but now instead that hour is in the morning at the office. And we always get here before the employees. 
And I just have my, my morning routine of, of checking my spreadsheet where I have uh, all my working pieces of money and movement. And then I check uh, all the employees, their clock-ins, their numbers for the other days. So by the time 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock hits, I already have uh, all my basic things set up, all the, all the money stuff, all the operation stuff. And then I normally uh, will just take a stroll around the office to make sure everything's going well. And then I come back to my desk and I have a list of the things that are most important to focus on. And that's a challenge sometimes because our, my number one objective for what I do now is uh, getting sales. So that involves uh, posting pictures, running Facebook ads. Uh, sometimes we do contests, various things. And that's always a priority because the business oxygen is the revenue. So that's that's always one of my top priorities. But I've but I've, if I already have some good promotions running, I'll kind of go down my list to the second most important thing. And one thing that time management wise that I think I do well is I ignore a lot of things that don't matter. I'll, I'll have some emails. That's something that uh, this is something I have a lot of unread emails, like about 20 unread emails at all times. And I ignore them because and then over time when they turn out not to be important, I'll just kind of unread it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they 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 like to say yes to all opportunities and they like to answer everybody. But as I've gotten more effective with my time, I've just really gotten good at focusing on the things that are going to be revenue generating that are going to be the most important things and I ignore things that are a waste of time like I got a speeding ticket recently and I've had this ticket sitting on my desk and it's just I'm going to eventually go online and pay that bill but it's just one of those things that just kind of drops down the list a little bit and I eventually get to it but I always prioritize my most important tasks first and I have an ongoing list of those things I love the fact that you're really you have a routine to some degree and that you know you're focusing you're basically laser focusing on what you do best which is really Absolutely. revenue generation and i think a lot of times people do get distracted with i call them revenue generation avoidance activities mm. so instead of generating the revenue they're doing the things that like you talked about that really aren't that important and can easily take you down a rabbit hole going the wrong direction instead of really being laser focused on, hey, my job is to generate revenue. That's what I'm good at. That's what I like doing. And so anything that's going to be revenue generation avoidance type of activities, I've got to ignore. I just yeah. can't let that bother me or be consumed by that or not even um, pay attention to that. So I like yeah. that aspect yeah. a lot. Now, let me ask you this. A lot of people really aren't good delegators or as good of delegators as they could be, at least in my opinion. So what words of wisdom would you give people to become better at delegating so they are focused on what they do best that only they can do, like the revenue generation types of things? I love this. So delegating is something that I've had to force myself to get good at. I have 17 employees now, and we're looking to get a new building and hiring. And one thing that you have to understand right away if you're going to get someone else to do a task that you are already good at is that they aren't going to be as good as you and they're not going to care as much as you care and that's okay if i'm a 10 out of 10 at, at these certain tasks and i'm hiring somebody to do this task they're not going to be a 10 out of 10 probably ever they might start at a 5 out of 10 and maybe with a proper uh, coaching and training you can get them up to an 8 out of 10 uh, but nobody's ever going to care as much of you as you do. And no one's ever going to be as good as you are at those things. But that's okay. Because if you uh, obsess over finding someone who is just as good as you are at, say, printing shirts or shipping shirts or, or ordering the supplies or all these things that go into the operations of our business. If I 
needed to find someone just as good as me, then I never would. I would never be satisfied and I would never grow. You have to kind of blindly trust the people that you pick uh, to run your company and you have to keep an eye on them and they get, they might get annoyed if you micromanage them. I think I like to say I'll micromanage an employee at the beginning until I trust them. And once I trust them, I don't need to micromanage anymore. I don't want to micromanage. So I think a little bit of blind trust and understanding that the people that you delegate tasks to are never going to be as good as you and kind of just being able to understand and not let it bother you that it's, that it's not as good as you and getting it to a level where it's acceptable. It's hard to do. I know it's very hard for a lot of people to do that because they obsess over these tasks. They're so good at them, but okay, then you do all of them. Then you'll never grow. So you just have to kind of accept that and blindly trust people. And then if it's not working out over a period of time, you're gonna have to fire somebody. And that's a really hard thing to do. I had to uh, fire a top employee very recently and it was very difficult, but I did it actually about five days ago and I feel a lot better now. And I think it turns out to be better for both people. So you just have to make decisions quickly. And then if something goes wrong, make that decision quickly to move on. Just continue to move on and understand that no one's ever gonna be as good as you, but you're not gonna grow unless you get people and trust them find the right people, retain them, and that's how companies grow. So I'm just curious, when you fired your top employee, you don't have to tell me exactly what happened, but give us an idea of, hey, I recognize that maybe this person wasn't performing to the level I wanted, and then how did you quickly do that? As opposed, Because, again, a lot of entrepreneurs hold on to people way too long right. because they don't want to have to go through the process of you know, replacing them or right, go through right, the process right. of draining them. So right. just can you shed a little light on, hey, I recognize it in this time frame and then what kind of what transpired? Yeah. So it actually wasn't my top employee. It was what I wanted to be my top employee. I have, like I said, I have 17 employees running the operations. They're printing shirts, uh, embroidering shirts, shipping shirts, uh, ordering all the supplies, uh, hiring firing i hired an operations manager it was a very high paying job and it was the objective was to lead and run the entire operations and there's a lot of elements that go into that and the person that i got was perfect on paper they were operations manager experience they had the six sigma training which is like efficiency of operations and on paper everything uh seemed great and uh actually hired them for seven months and I was very frustrated sometimes that they weren't learning the task, they weren't teaching well, they, didn't, well, they weren't doing leadership well. A lot of times they would be, he would be doing spreadsheets that were very complex and there was absolutely, at the end of the spreadsheet, no more information to use. It just like, it was so frustrating for me and it, it was a weird one. And the person worked very hard, they came every day. It's easy to fire somebody if they don't show up and they don't, and they just don't care. But this person was coming every single day, working hard, uh, focusing on the job, but, and then they did go through a stage. It was a six month period. And the first three months they were going all right, but I was like, I'm going to stick with this. Then I went through a three month period where I said, okay, I hired a top quality person. It's very qualified. Is it me? Is it me that's doing something wrong? Is it me that I'm just not seeing that the, the value that this person's providing? And I went through that stage for a little bit. And then I noticed that, you know what? It's not me. It's not me. It's this person. And I've come home every day, very frustrated. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. So I just made the decision. And when Monday came, I made the tough decision. And it turns out anytime you want to fire somebody, the other person usually isn't that surprised because I made very 
clear what my expectations were, what my frustrations were, and what my goals were. And this person wasn't working towards them. They weren't saying, I know your goal is for me to run the whole operation and I can't do it all right now, but I'm working towards it. They just kept saying, I can't do it because this takes too much time. This takes too much time. And it, they turned out to be not incredibly surprised when the time came. So I actually probably took a little too long on this one. It was six, seven months. I was very uh, like confident about it at first. I knew it might take some time to learn it. But when the time came where it hit me, where I said, I'm spending too much time complaining, I just made the decision and I'm not rehiring for it right away. I'm kind of handing some of the tasks to people who are handling it before, but it's a time to reevaluate, see if we need a new operations manager. And that's a decision I'm going to be having to make in uh, the next couple of weeks. But it was a huge learning experience as far as I probably should have uh, maybe done some better vetting on the hiring, maybe called some uh, resources because I'm used to hiring uh, hourly wage workers, but this one was my first big hire and it didn't go as planned, but I'm proud that I made a decision to move forward and we're dealing with kind of handling the task now, but I feel great. It's like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders and it was a tough decision, but I think it was the right one. Yeah, it comes down to again, hey, something didn't go as I would like to have it have gone, but then I just pivot and okay, next time pivot. I'm going to do things a little differently. So Absolutely. it's just learning from our experiences and really taking that information and making it better, you know, even better the next time. Absolutely. So how, I'm curious, how do you view the concept of working hard versus working smart? Ah, that is a great one. Uh, well, my answer to that is do both. Absolutely do both. I think a lot of the times working smart is obviously important. Like I obsess over efficiency. Like even something silly, like yesterday we had to move a bunch of boxes out and people were carrying them out to the, to, and I was like, Hey, we should just put all these boxes on this cart and push them all out at once. Like I've trained myself to get very good at always thinking in an efficient way. Like Abraham Lincoln is the quote. I think it's, if you have an hour to chop down a tree, I spend the first 45 minutes sharpening the ax. Every time we put a system into place, I always try to take the time to think, okay, let's take a day. Let's take two days to think about the best way to do this before we just dive in and start doing it. So I think that working smart is very important. Always think from an efficiency standpoint, but I think a lot of people take that working smart element and then they just forget about the working hard part. So I think the formula of doing both of those things, working very smart and obsessing over efficiency in every single system in your business is important. And it's hard sometimes because if you just wanna do it, you just start doing it. But no, I think take the time to think about the best way to do it. That's working smart. And that's very important. But you can't just work smart and not work hard. Combine those two. And that is the formula. I think that builds great businesses, working hard, working hard and working smart. I like it. That's a good way to look at it. How do you suggest people work to overcome, I'm just going to use a general term like obstacles that can get in their way and slow them down from achieving their goals. So an obstacle can obviously be anything that distracts us, gets in our way, slows us down. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yes. I, in business, uh, one thing to know is that obstacles are inevitable. They're 100% coming and there's no way to get around big obstacles. A few years ago, uh, I was actually $300,000 in the hole and I had to fire half of my team. It was uh, the biggest downturn I've ever had in business. And the problem was we were spending too much on ads and trying to keep our revenue and keep our employees. And the, 
the profits weren't coming and I had to work out a few kinks of that. But I should have probably logically quit at this time. I had zero dollars. I, I remember uh, swiping my credit card at the uh, store with my fiance to try to buy some spaghetti and the car would get declined. Like it was ugly and we had to work out the logistics and it would have been very logical to quit during this big obstacle. But I still thought we had a good business and maybe sometimes it is the right thing to do to quit if your business is terrible. But I, at the time, at the time this was happening, I had the mindset that all superhero movies, there's always a time where the superhero goes through a downturn. There's always a no great story is just, it started like this and it ended up great. There's always a part of that story where something went terribly wrong and the, the hero of the story had to overcome it by dealing with all this adversity. And, and I knew that at this time that this was going to be part of my story and this was going to be part of something epic that this obstacle is inevitable. And it turned out to make my business a lot stronger. I fought through it over six to eight month period of time. And I actually learned how to run my business a lot better. I, I knew what metrics, what percentage of ad spend I needed to have each day to be profitable. I learned that stuff and I never would have learned it if I didn't go through this obstacle. So for people who have an obstacle, I think if you approach it with a mindset that, okay, here it is. I knew this was coming. I knew that I was going to have an obstacle because you are going to have an obstacle. That's a fact. And when you have it, don't get discouraged. Just understand this is the part of the story where you get to do something special and fight and go through the pain to overcome this obstacle. And if you can make it through layers of obstacles in your business, your business will get stronger every single time. So just know that they're going to come, accept them and embrace the obstacles because they are inevitable. It comes back, like you said, to the mindset again. You just have to believe in what you're doing enough and just say, hey, yeah, this is just, you know, a bump in the road. And those people who are successful overcome them. And I, I have an expression. I always say successful people are comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time or they wouldn't be <laughs> successful. I love that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And I mean, if they were comfortable all the time, they wouldn't be com they wouldn't be successful. So exactly. It's, it's, exactly. it's kind of the same. I guess the same principle here is what you're saying. It's just the mindset. Hey, I need to work to constantly be uncomfortable to continue to be successful and to be even more successful. Absolutely. And again, yeah, like the growth comes on the outskirts of your comfort zone and people hear that it's a quote, but you have to know it and you have to believe it and truly understand that if you are uncomfortable, just get comfortable with it because that is where the growth is. And if people, people naturally avoid that. And I think the great entrepreneurs had head on right towards it. And that's, that's the difference in understanding that. Any um, parting words you'd like to share or any other comments? I think entrepreneurship is something that can make people so happy. I, I, it sounds corny, but I think the most important thing in the world for anybody is to be happy. And I think human, human beings, they're biologically wired to be happy by having growth, progress, working towards something. And everyone needs to find happiness in their own way. But if you're inclined to start a business, and, you're, and if you're inclined to get into the entrepreneurship life or the entrepreneurship world, go for it, do it. The worst thing that could happen is you fail and then you learn about yourself and you learn that that is not your best path to happiness. But if it turns out that entrepreneurship is something that you love, there's such a high ceiling for happiness because you can love what you do every day and you can continue to have that feeling of happiness from the growth, from coming and building every day, having something to fight for and live for I'm happy every day because I love what I do 
I love every second I spend. And the more successful I am, the more money I have. And the more money I have is the more things you can get and the more you can build. And it's not all about money, but that's just the scorekeeper. So if you can combine running a business and getting your happiness from the business and that works for you, I think that's just a great formula for a happy and successful life. All right. If people wanted to get a hold of you, Sean, or learn a little bit more about what you do or your T-shirts or anything like that, where would they go? I would say uh, for this audience, you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, uh, The Sean Lowry Show. I just started it kind of talking about business and entrepreneurship, having guests on. And uh, yeah, The Sean Lowry Show on YouTube, iTunes, subscribe to it. I'm at Sean Lowry 20 on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there. Uh, and yeah, come along and listen. And um, I'm having a lot of fun doing it and talking to people. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to share your insights with us. And I think I have a page of notes here um, that I'm going to review and go over. And uh, I loved a lot of the comments and the mindset that you have. And I think it's important for all of us to pay attention to that to get to where we ultimately want to go. So thanks again. Take care and stay healthy. Thanks, Ann. Well, my hope for our time together with Sean is that you got value and an idea or two that will help you be even more successful personally and professionally. Feel free to share my podcast with others as they can be found on most podcast platforms and in most English speaking countries. And of course, if you'd like to get a short daily fix from me, subscribe to the Accountability Minute, which can also be found on most podcast platforms and in most English speaking countries. And always, always, always remember to aim for what you want each and every day. Until next time. Make it a great day, today and every day. Thanks for listening.